Thank you for downloading the PR Week, PR Week's weekly podcast. For more podcasts as well as breaking news, visit PRWeek.com. Hello and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name is Steve Barrett. I'm the editorial director of PR Week, going to guide you gently through the penultimate show of the year. Can you believe it? This year has gone by so quickly, but uh, really looking forward to this show because we've got Laurie Teranishi here who is the founder and CEO of IQ360, a Hawaiian-based PR firm. So, Laurie, really looking forward to chatting to you and finding more, finding out more about the PR scene in Hawaii. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. And we've got Frank Washcook here. He's uh, our executive editor and uh, he's our regular co-host. How are you doing, Frank? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. It wouldn't be the same without you, sir. And uh, sadly, think, sadly, we're all not recording from Hawaii. But no, <laughs> although uh, we'll we'll talk about that because it hasn't yeah. maybe been the best week to be there <laughs> this week. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, so we'll chat to Laurie. Then we'll talk about our Hall of Fame. We had the induction celebration on Monday night. Fantastic evening, in-person event. Lots of excitement in the room. We unveiled our PR Week Best Places to Work for 2021. So uh, always good to see who gets picked for that. And clearly, a best place to work, especially in these times, is more significant than ever. And on the same tip, Publicis has launched some new workforce guidelines where they're going to let people go and work remote work um, in anywhere in the world if they uh, put a good case together and marcel their big robot is going to help them find locations we'll talk about jeff morell he's moving away from fossil fuels to disney so he's moving from bp to disney to take over from xenia muka in the new year real chemistry has a new ceo and founder jim weiss has moved uh, upstairs and we'll, we'll find out about BTS. I know Frank's a massive fan, and they've all got, I know Laurie is as well, so they've all got individual Instagram accounts. So um, they're taking a bit of a break from, from the BTS thing and uh, set up these accounts, which have automatically almost broken the internet. So but let's talk to you first, Laurie. Tell us a bit about IQ360, the agency, what you do, and the PR scene in Hawaii. I know you do work... Um, on the west coast as well but first of all it's been snowing uh and you've had eight inches of rain in like a, a few days what's what's going on you know I, I don't know maybe we're a bit jealous of all of you on the east coast and you know just want to experience a little Join winter in. weather but uh we yeah. had uh the highest rainfall on record on monday uh so it's been it's been strange uh but today it's a little overcast but people can still surf and Go to the beach. So I, I think we've seen the worst of it. Thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, but actually, to answer your... the, well, we'll talk about it later, but the, that's the island wants to be, um, you know, Hawaii wants to be carbon neutral by 2045. So, and that would be the first state to do so. But anyway, tell us about IQ360. Well, we are, you're right, and we are in um, a very progressive uh, state in terms of uh, sustainability. And um, we are an integrated marketing communications firm, uh, because the big agencies don't have a strong presence in Hawaii and the local business community here doesn't have 
rigid notions about what a communications firm can and can't do. We've really taken the license to innovate here and do the work that we think matters. Um, so we sort of take a, a broader scale view of communications and try to fix problems in ways that contribute to Hawaii achieving um, a better future and providing leadership, frankly, to the world. I know that sounds pretty ambitious, but that's our purpose. And, um, you know, Hawaii is a, a very interesting place. I think it's a misunderstood place. Uh, we have a, a set of values as a community here, a way of respecting the environment, a way of working together, respecting other cultures and balancing this um, individualism as well as collectivism. And so I think that there are some lessons to learn um, from, you know, here on the ground in Hawaii and um, certainly how we ap approach, you know, our practice of communication. What do you think the biggest misconceptions are about Hawaii from the, the mainland or from elsewhere in the world? Well, look, Hawaii has, I think, branded itself um, in a good way as one of the top global destinations in the world. Right. We um, we welcome over 10 million visitors here every year before pre-pandemic. And um, so, you know, because of that and tourism is our, our largest economic engine, um, you know, people tend to think of this place as, as sand and surf and sun, which it, it is. Uh, but it is a serious place to do business. Um, as you mentioned earlier in your comments, Steve, Hawaii was the first I believe almost a, de a decade ago, to set a very ambitious uh, uh, clean energy agenda. And Hawaii wants to be carbon neutral, is planning to be carbon neutral by 2045. And we're ahead of schedule, actually, in terms of achieving that goal. And um, recently, actually, John Doerr of Kleiner Perkins wrote a book, and he held Hawaii up as a global model for sustainability. So I think there is growing recognition that, you know, in addition to being a place for vacation, it's uh, also a place um, because we are an island community, we, we have no choice but to deal with these um, climate change issues. So yeah. I, I really do hope that we can be a part of that um, building awareness for Hawaii as, as a sustainability hub. Yeah, no, that, that sounds great. Do you, what's the business environment like? I mean, is it a lot of um, big resort companies that are global, multinational? I mean, you say that the big PR firms aren't there. Are all the agencies local or do some of the, the West Coast firms have outposts in Hawaii as well? T tell us a bit about that. Um, we had one firm recently be acquired by Finn, but um, that was the first sort of um, large agency acquisition um, in 20 or 30 years. I mean, the, we we are largely independent firms here in, in Hawaii. In terms of the business environment, um, yes, as I mentioned earlier, tourism is the by far outpaces all the other industries in terms of um, being being the largest sector. Um, so, you know, that that, of course, uh, has downstream impacts for for the business community because many um, adjacent businesses support support tourism. Uh, but to my earlier point, because we are, you know, leading the nation um, and you know parts of the world in terms of sustainability, 
we, we do have a number of very interesting uh, climate initiatives going on here. Um, my father, who's worked in um, clean energy and sustainability for a number of years, always says Hawaii is small enough, but it's also big enough to launch, uh, you know, meaningful pilots. So there's a lot of research being done here in sustainability and in circular economy companies. Yeah, and John Anoda is involved in your agency, who's well known to us, and he's a member of our Hall of Fame. So tell us about John's involvement and, and some of the other folks, because you do spend time on the West Coast of the States as well, don't you? Yes, yes, I split my time. We have um, teams on the East Coast and the West Coast. And yeah, John, what can I say? John is a mentor, uh, as you know, Steve, to many in our industry. Yeah. Um, but for me, I always call him my sensei, which is Japanese for teacher. And I worked for him, uh, you know, about 20 something years ago when he was the head of comms for Visa. And, you know, for, to have him now join IQ360 is just, uh, it, it's just brought it all full circle for me. Um, you know, when I was working for him in my 20s, you know, there's only so much of his wisdom you can absorb because you don't have the experience or the track record. And so um, I feel like I'm a more fully developed practitioner now. And so having John working alongside him now, um, I feel like I'm supercharging my, <laughs> you know, my, uh, my learning. And um, as you know, John is just, there's just so much wisdom there. So I, this is actually one of the absolute best times in my career to be able to work with him again. Oh, that's great to hear. Yeah, he's a good guy. Tell me about, um, you say, yeah, as you said, Hawaii has a unique culture and um, people are humble. Organizations are supposed to act with humility. How does that tally with PR, which, you know, is about, not shouting about promoting things and talking about your uh, accomplish, accomplishments. Um, how do you balance that in uh, in in somewhere like Hawaii? <laughs> it's an interesting dynamic. Um, you know, we have a, um, a somewhat a culture that leans um, toward more of an Asian kind of uh, uh, worldview because um, while. While uh, a lot of Asian Americans, we have a, a fairly large Asian American population, and that stems from the early 1900s when uh, the sugarcane plantations um, went to China and Japan and the Philippines to recruit workers um, to, to come and work on the sugarcane plantations. And so this uh, this kind of view of collectivism, of, of being humble, not not... Um, you know, standing out too much as an individual stems somewhat from that. It also stems from being in an island community where your relationships last for decades. You know, it's not as much a transactional. People don't look at things in a as transactional way. They look, they take a long-term view of relationships. And so you don't, you know, companies are reticent to pound their chests and say they're better than anyone else. So from a communication standpoint, to answer your question, Steve, it, it does present a challenge for us. We often have to push our clients to the forefront a little more, especially those who um, are going to engage in on the national stage. Um, so it's a it's very different than working with our clients um, in the in the continental U.S., uh, sometimes you have to tell them to tamp it down, right? So it's just, yeah, yeah, that's true. 
an interesting dynamic. So it's it's good to have a balance. Um, but but part of that too is that um, you know I I always say that we are a culture here in Hawaii that that's really designed to appeal to millennials and Gen Z, right? Because our leadership here. Um, you know, whether you're the CEO of of the largest utility, the CEO of the largest bank, um, or the CEO of a nonprofit, uh, we care about the environment. We care about the culture of this community, the social fabric of this community. Um, We care about diversity. Uh, There's a real concern for the homeless and uh, people that struggle um, to make ends meet because this is an extremely expensive place to live. So, you know, um, the boomers might not have appreciated fully what our culture has to offer, but I think the rising generations, the younger generations, um, there, there's a lot that I think will resonate with them uh, about the Hawaii culture. Yeah, for sure. And tell me a bit about, I mean, it's an island nation, so I, I don't know how the supply chain difficulties have affected you when you're importing a lot of goods in. There is poverty on, on the island. And tell us about indigenous peoples and how they are, you know, on an island where you've got lots of multinational companies. What are the issues around uh, indigenous Hawaiians uh, particularly? Well, you know, we, we are an island um, people, right, smack dab in the middle of the Pacific. And we have a history um, of being taken over by the United States and then losing 90% of the native population to disease and, you know, other things brought in by outsiders. So, um, you know, I think that uh, that that weighs heavily, though, on the minds of, of everyone here in Hawaii. There is a respect and a, a feeling of responsibility um, in Hawaiian. That word is uh, kuleana. But everybody in, I mean, most people in our society here care deeply about what happened to the Hawaiian people and, and think it's wrong and are trying to figure out ways to, you know, remediate some of those wrongs. And I don't see that same attitude necessarily among, you know, big swaths of the population um, in the in the continental U.S. And the other thing is that, um, you know, I don't know exactly how many years ago, but a couple decades ago, there um, was a movement and still is a movement by Native Hawaiians um, to revive their culture and, and, you know, to take back some of what was taken from them. And there is generally support for that in our community, which I think is a beautiful thing. And um, what I also think is really just so amazing is that there's been a resurgence of the culture and of the Hawaiian language. And um, there's a deep respect for that here. So, you know, that I think the way that the Native Hawaiian culture has been revived and the support for it in the general community, I think is also something that is a model for the world, not just our sustainability, but the, not just the tolerance, but the, um, the advocacy amongst uh, non-Hawaiian, non-Native Hawaiian people for, um, you know, this, this group of people. And and so um, yeah, I'm very proud of that actually as a as a resident of Hawaii to yeah. be a part of that. 
Just to finish up, though, yesterday as we record um, was the anniversary of the attack on Pearl Harbor, and obviously that's a lot of people know Hawaii for that. How how does that how is that day marked in Hawaii, and and what resonance does it have, you know, on 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 the population? Well, the Japanese American community here in Hawaii uh, is is a fairly um, uh, well represented. You know, they're uh, the Japanese who came from. Uh, to work on the plantations here. Um, I mean, I don't know how many tens of thousands came, but it was a significant number. And, and I myself as am a Japanese American. I'm a fourth generation or what we call Yonsei. And um, so Pearl Harbor for us in Hawaii uh, really brings up very mixed feelings. It's a, of course a tragedy, but it was a tragedy for many of us here in Hawaii um, on, in both countries. We, my family, had uh, relatives in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So later in, in the war, both of those cities uh, were bombed by the U.S. And uh, my grandfather was an army officer in the United States Army here and, you know, was um, part of the recovery effort pulling soldiers out of the waters of Pearl Harbor after the attack. So, you know, that just my own family story, my own family's experience sort of shows the dichotomy, um, you know, of what people in Hawaii went through. And we're, we're fortunate in Hawaii that most Japanese Americans here did not get interned, although there was an internment camp in, on Oahu as well. Uh, but for the most part, Japanese Americans... Um, you know, we're, we're not affected by the internment camps. So we also have a very different worldview than our um, Japanese American friends um, on the mainland who had to, you know, have their land, their own land seized. And um, it's a really, really tragic part of American history. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, so many different layers to that. It's great to chat to you, Laurie, and great to get all those perspectives on uh, a country that, you know, most people think, well, it's just somewhere to go on holiday, and there's so much more to it. Having visited myself, absolutely fantastic place, wonderful people, (laughs) and uh, really love it. So great to chat to you, and we'll get your input on some of our stories. Um, Frank, so PR Week Hall of Fame, that was our last in-person event of the year earlier this week, and it was a good night, wasn't it? Really good celebration and uh, honoring some terrific PR professionals. For sure. Uh, first of all, great to see everybody again. Um, as we keep saying, for some people, it's their first time out at a business event. It really was, wasn't um, it? And you could really see people perk up uh, when it's their first time out. So, And uh, also nice to see, we, we always get a good group of alums uh, from previous Hall of Fame classes, including 2020 in this case, for which there was no live ceremony uh there and you know we saw chris la placa from espn the other night and good to see everybody else from prior classes uh as well so terrific group of people um this year's class really impressive as always karen khan of hp hano cabrera of general mills joe evangelisti of jp morgan barbie siegel of zeno group uh, uh, I hope I'm not Michelle Fred Flowers Cook. Welch. Fred Cook, Michelle yes. Flowers. How could I forget Fred Cook? Of course. Um, <laughs> and just just a great group. And I love the videos, not just because you get some VIPs in the videos from um, Magic Johnson uh, talking about working with Michelle, to uh, Al Gore talking about working with Hano Cabrera, to um, 
Jamie Dimon talking about working with Joe Evangelisti. I mean, not only do you get that, but you find out a lot of uh, fun facts about everybody. In fact, I didn't know that there's a little uh, puppet that looks exactly like Hanno Cabrera. <laughs> I think everybody enjoyed that. Uh, I, I did not know Fred Cook has run, I think I said 20 marathons, and I, I will be bending his ear about that in a future uh, event when I bump into him again. Um, he's putting me to so, shame because he's older yeah. than I am. Is it 22, wasn't it? Pretty imp- It's impressive, whatever it is. Um, but yeah, look, great night. And you get to honor people who are really forerunners uh, in the industry and who have done a lot for the, you know, the generations that are coming up now. So, uh, you know, salute to all of them. Yeah, it was great. We had Al Gore paying tribute to Hannah because he used to work with him. And there was Michelle Gass, who's the... Uh, CEO of Coles, paying tribute to Barbie Siegel. Yeah, it's, it's, it always shows you how the great esteem within which um, PR is held within organizations and amongst clients, which yeah, um, absolutely. is good. You know, it makes us feel good as an industry, but rightfully so, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you can, every year, you see not only top CEOs in the videos for uh, the inductees that year, but definitely household name CEOs as well, whether that's the CEO of General Mills or J.P. Morgan Chase. Yeah, and as we said, John Anoda is an alum and a member of the Hall of Fame, so that was uh, it was great to, to honor John a few years back. We also launched our 2021 Best Places to Work this week, so talk us through the winning um, agencies and uh, in-house workplaces. One thing I really enjoy about Best Places to Work each year uh, is checking out the smaller agencies that have been honored, because I think they're, especially this year, these firms with one to 50 staffers, I mean, you know, uh, the term war for talent gets overused, right? But especially yeah. with uh, with the smaller shops who who are just, just battling to keep young staffers who do really well there uh, in-house, it's, it, I, I'm always interested to see what they do and the perks that, that they uh, provide um uh, for developing talent and you know, blaze pr out in santa monica uh they have hiring coaches encouraging employees to take professional development classes virtual lunch meetings um and, and you see all of these different kinds um uh, of features throughout the industry and you know we're here in new york but you get to sort of meet a little bit some of these other shops like fish consulting in fort lauderdale uh, Florida or Media Frenzy Global uh, in Atlanta, which um, you know really prides itself as a place with a focus on advancement for women, um, and and so just those those are a few of the high- starter company from Los Angeles. Um, those are just a few of the highlights. Shouting out some of the smaller shops that were honored. Yeah, check out the the uh, coverage and see what the firms are doing to keep workers. It's one of the biggest issues. PRs are people business, and um, recruiting and retaining your best talent is the most crucial thing, not just in PR, but in business generally. And the future of work is a big, big topic. Laurie, what what trends are you seeing? I mean, first of all, tell us about your agency. Is it is it quite virtual, or do you have um, physical offices? And what, what trends are you seeing in Hawaii? Are you seeing loads of people coming to Hawaii to work remotely, for example. I think that's been, that are, was a trend last year, wasn't it? Yes, uh, there are. Actually, we spearheaded this Movers and Shakas program. We actually helped uh, a team of people, a team of business leaders conceive of this idea because in the trough of the pandemic, we just needed to do something to get people to come to Hawaii. And it was ended up being 
a, a huge success. We we were hoping to get a thousand um, uh, people to apply from our for our movers and shakas first cohort, and we got ninety thousand. So <laughs> it was uh, it was you know it, it broke our our website to be honest. Was, the first day was that a good or a bad thing in the end? I mean, obviously the campaign was successful, but uh, you know, did yeah. it did it start causing problems? Because I heard there were shortages of accommodation and even renting a car became difficult. Uh, that was uh, closer. Uh, that was in the summer. Um, we had our first cohort join in um, the beginning of the year. But but uh, what we were trying to do was highlight to people that Hawaii was a safe destination, that if you did have the opportunity to work from anywhere, you should consider Hawaii. And, and that did happen. Uh, but, you know, we uh, I, I know that. Um, other destinations and Hawaii included have issues with uh, residents, you know, worried about over tourism and and those kinds of issues. And so what we did was we worked very closely with the local community and we started to pivot this program that at first was just a stopgap to get more um, temporary workers, you know, to Hawaii. And we changed it into morphed it into more of a workforce development program where we could take these very highly skilled, um, the, I mean, these people that came <laughs> are really amazing people um, yeah. for our next cohort. One's a rocket scientist, you know, um, just road scholars, things like that. And they come here and they learn uh, the Hawaiian way of, of conservation. Um, and then they also share and impart their knowledge. They all do service projects for different nonprofits. So there's a lot of knowledge sharing and leadership development um, both ways. And so it, it, it's ended up being a beautiful program. And, and so to your point about culture and retaining people, one of the things, and I, I loved looking at some of the awardees um, that you that you recognized um, in the best workplaces, because uh, talent retention is, is, I think, the biggest challenge for all of us in the industry right now, corporate or agency. And I think for people to stay, they, number one, have to feel they're in a culture they can trust and that the values, especially with the younger people, the values are aligned with theirs. And secondly, that they have these development opportunities because, you know, what I see, and sorry to talk so much, I'll wrap this up, but. No, it's good. More, it's good topic. But more and more, you know, our people in our profession um, are adding the greatest value working in this white space, this undefined space. And all of these problems that we are being faced with today, right. Um, are, are multidimensional. They, they're involving sort of these newish concepts like ESG, DEI, employee activism, hybrid work models. Um, and our clients are having, increasingly, they're having trouble figuring out who owns this problem, you know, let alone how do we address it. So when we come in, like in our company, when we come in with a core group of small, smart people, um, and we can tap into this network we've developed of top senior consultants, you know, we can just get to work immediately and we don't have to worry about these traditional boundaries. So I think, you know, if we can create these new models of agency work also, we can get, we can also attract people that aren't typical, you know, agency, I'm using that in quotes, people. So we're increasingly hiring people outside, like, like the large consulting firms are, outside the strict confines of, you know, communications and marketing. 
Yeah, we've seen the, that trend and we've seen, you know, scientists and doctors and all sorts of other folks and different types of people. And that's got to be good for the industry. And Frank Publicis put some new workforce uh, guidelines out, didn't they, this week, which was quite interesting. With the help of their big robot, Marcel, which is a big favorite of ours, I think. <laughs> we, we love robots. Um, but I like to imagine. That. Yes, I like to imagine Marcel as a gigantic robot uh, as well. Um <laughs> sort of original day of the world stood still type size speaking in a french accent as in well, a french yeah. accent yes yeah. yes yeah. Uh, very debonair um <laughs> so um publicis is essentially uh allowing employees to work from uh wherever they want in the world granted publicis has to have an office there uh for a six-month period starting early next year um granted they have to make a case for it and they have to uh, show how they can be useful there so to speak um but this is a really interesting program and something tells me that the the various paris offices of publicis group are probably getting a lot of applications for this yeah for sure that's an amazing city um but hey what if they uh, opened up in hawaii Lorian? i was just gonna say frank you know hawaii <laughs> Yeah. Good weather. <laughs> yeah, that we, would be We'd welcome it. <laughs> yeah, maybe one of the holding companies should make a place. Great market. So, yeah, interesting but stuff. But it's, it's an interesting program, right? And, and um, you know, look, everybody's been working from home for some degree for, for months, if not, you know, well over a year at this point. So uh, it's not like they're not used to remote employees. But, um, you know, interested to see if it shakes things a little bit up. Uh, shakes things up a little bit too much because with you know people all over the place we'll see we'll see it's an interesting program good for them i'm sure the algorithm will get it right in the end frank um i can certainly recommend it uh working in a different part of the world is a superb thing to do and i would have done it way way earlier if uh, if those sort of things happened in my day which they didn't you know so i would encourage anyone to try and work abroad and and experience new cultures and uh and go and uh, stretch their boundaries and learn and learn a foreign language as well, which I, I, I fail to do. But uh, um, all right, Jeff Morell, well known to us at BP and before that as a broadcaster. He's uh, forsaking fossil fuels. He's based in London at the moment at BP. And he's going to be the new head of comms at Disney, um, taking over from Xenia Muka, another member of our Hall of Fame. And uh, really interesting appointment, Frank. Yes, uh, because I think over the past few months, the replacement for Zenia Muka has been uh, possibly the most watched job opening in the entire industry. And Disney didn't need a real heavyweight to fill that role. And it looks like uh, it's going to be Jeff Morrell, uh, who was at BP. And before that, he was a spokesman for the Department of Defense at the Pentagon. So, um, you know, he, he has a he has a CV that uh, looks like up for the job. So um, starting on January 24th, he has really broad responsibilities here. And it's technically a newly created position, even though it, as the head of comms, he's he's filling in for what Sani Amuka did. But it's a newly created position of Chief Corporate Affairs Officer, and Senior EVP. So he's going to manage corporate comms, global public policy, government relations, um, huge things in and of itself when you think about the size of Disney, but also environmental, social and governance and corporate CSR. So these are, and he's reporting to the CEO, Bob Shapik. Um, so a really broad range of responsibilities uh, for Jeff Morell in this new job at Disney. 
Yeah, former reporter on ABC News. Yes. So he's super connected in D.C. I remember being in that hotel, I forget its name, which is where everyone hangs out in D.C. And he was there lunching and going around the tables pretty much, you know, he knew everybody in there. So uh, super connected person and uh, will be uh, an interesting change of pace from BP to Disney. But uh, plenty of challenges over at Disney as well, as well as opportunities. So, uh, yeah. Great move for Jeff. Uh, tell us about Real Chemistry. Jim Weiss has kind of moved upstairs and they've got a new CEO. Quite an interesting development over there at that very, very fast growing uh, healthcare firm. Well, that's exactly it. It's um, It has really jumped up the charts, so to speak. And, and literally, if you follow our agency business report every year. Uh, but the new CEO of Real Chemistry, formerly known as W2O Group, is uh, Shankar Naran- Naranian. Um, so he's going into the top role, really interesting time uh, as they're just about to cross the $500 million in revenue line. Um, he comes from Cognizant and McKinsey and company, big organizations. Uh, he's going to become CEO at the start of the year. And Jim Weiss, the uh, founder and previous CEO of Real Chemistry, is going to move into the role of founder and chairman. Um Interestingly, Weiss is also going to join New Mountain Capital, uh, which is the investment partner of Real Chemistry, uh, as an executive advisor. And both of them are uh, are going to join um, the agency's board of directors. So uh, Jim Weiss sticking around in a way, um, interested to see how Shankar puts his uh, his stamp on the organization because they've just been growing so quickly. And and trust me, if you have to edit a story about about real chemistry and you look for background about how many firms they've acquired in the past couple of years, you can be there for a while because it's a long list of not just healthcare marketing firms, but data uh, and, you know, direct to patient and and Mm -hmm. all kinds of different individual specialist uh, medical shops. So really interesting firm, new player on the scene there. Stunning to think of that growth because I, I remember yeah. when we first came over here, they were about 50 million. Now they're 10 times that. They've mm-hmm. grown organically, but definitely by lots of acquisitions. So interesting that they went outside the organization for the next leader rather than internally, and that they brought in someone from the consulting world. So that means uh, I think there's at least two McKin- former McKinseyites running PR firms now, David Bentley over at uh, Porta Novelli. And let's see uh, what he does and uh, how he brings all those new parts together because uh, it will be. And, uh, yeah, and, uh, you know, with private equity involvement, um, that that has a, a specific dynamic as well when you're running a business. And uh, interesting that Jim will be part of that. But uh, let's get on to the real stuff. BTS, they are the uh, fantastically popular Korean band set up their own individual Instagram accounts. Why is that significant, Frank? And uh, how how did it break the internet? It, it seems like it might break the internet. These guys are super popular, BTS, if you, and, and, and I have to acknowledge I'm not a huge fan, no disrespect to these guys. They all seem like very nice guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, they are the, the numbers they have done on Instagram since joining is is just phenomenal stuff. Um, so they very quietly launched their own individual accounts uh, on the platform, and this is as of yesterday. They all had thirteen to fourteen million followers each. I, I have like seventy, so that's that's a lot. <laughs> um, the, uh, now this is as of yesterday. I'm sure it's um, I'm sure it's much more than this right now. The top one had nearly fifteen million. 
which broke Angelina Jolie's record as the fastest person to reach 1 million and 10 million followers. Um, and it, it beat Billie Eilish's record as the fastest celebrity to reach 1 million likes in just four minutes. So that's is really wild stuff. So like, what does it mean for us, right? So um, I think if you look back in the past year, you see that when a brand like McDonald's in this case, uh, which partnered with BTS on the, the BTS meal, which was part of their push of having celebrity sort of design, or I, I think curate is the preferred term, uh, their own fast food meals, that it was, it was super popular. And a big part of that is because BTS has this extremely dedicated fan base, literally a card carrying member fan base. So, um, it's just brands that partner with it, with a group like this, it's just seems to be, it seems to turn everything into gold. And um, will that be amplified even more now that they're on Instagram? We shall see, but they are off to a really fast start, at least in terms of getting followers. Yeah, they are super influencers. Laurie, I think you're a fan. Tell us what the big attraction is of BTS and uh, what you think of them setting themselves up on Insta. I mean, I am a fan, not not as uh, avid a fan as some of the, my colleagues at IQ, who there were a fair number of them who flew to L.A. to catch the concert this past week. Right. Um, but, you know, what I find interesting about them is, uh, you know, they, they have curated their brand so well as a group. And it'll be interesting to see how they do it sort of individually as well, because um, it's kind of hard you know, it'll just, there be some challenges potentially there too. But what I think is also interesting is a couple months ago, I don't know if um, either of you caught that they performed on the UN floor. There was a conference on climate change, and I believe they debuted a song about climate change. And I, I just thought that was really interesting because their fan base that Frank referred to, I mean, th those are issues that they care about climate change. So they're, they're not just pretty faces and, you know, um, promoting fast food and things like that. They're also um, starting, I think, to comment and build some advocacy around issues that matter to this fan base. So it'll yeah, be interesting to keep watching. Really good point. Yeah. And they, they, could, they have the power and influence to really shape opinion. So um, they, they can really get discussions started. There's been a massive um, rise in uh, interest in Korean culture, hasn't there? We've seen Korean films winning Oscars and Actors and Best Actress Awards. What, what do you think the attraction is, both in the States and the rest of the globe, um, to Korean culture? I mean, it's not, an, it's not a completely recent thing. It just seems to have gone to another level. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, it's not like, yeah, I, I know that I, I sound like uh, the Chamber of Commerce of Hawaii here <laughs> speaking, but, <laughs> but uh, that wasn't my intent. But but now that I when I say this, you're going to that'll underscore <laughs> that belief. Um, but, you know, in, in many ways, Hawaii, I, I believe Hawaii is in front in sustainability. I think Hawaii is in front in DEI. I also think we were uh, at the forefront of, of K-dramas and K-pop because people here have been avid, avid fans of K-pop and K-drama for decades. And in fact, there are whole tour groups uh, that before the pandemic would um, take people from Hawaii to Korea and they would tour all these soap opera, you know, the Korean soaps, Korean drama yeah. uh, 
sets. <laughs> so anyway, it, it's uh, interesting. But just one quick thing, Steve, you mentioned uh, you were talking about BTS and the UN and climate change. And I, I do think, um, you know, people were talking about Glasgow and what was happening and would there be any real long term action taken? There seems to be seem to be a lot of summits and people wringing their hands about climate change. But what are we actually doing? And I think to mobilize large swaths of the global population increasingly, you know, using music and culture and the arts and groups like BTS to mobilize everyday people to take action on climate change and, and then pressure, you know, governments or other organizations that have the ability to shape policy. I, I think that is, we're going to see that happen more and more over time. Yeah, you know, we do a lot of work so we're seeing it. Very powerful and global reach, you know, truly global in a way that politicians just can't, they just can't uh, do stuff like that. They can't get uh, into so many people's um, psyches like that. So, yeah, it's a good point. Listen, Laurie, it's been great to chat to you. Thanks so much for joining us. And we wish you well with uh, IQ360 and... and um, well, we've got to come visit in Hawaii, haven't we? I mean, anytime, Steve, you and Frank are welcome anytime. And it's not <laughs> raining today. <laughs> Sounds good. Frank, I think it was our colleague Gillian, Gideon Fiddlesway who got the trip to Hawaii a couple of years ago, didn't he? So uh, <laughs> yes. we need to wangle we're, something, mate. Yes, we're not envious at all, if you can, if you can tell. <laughs> Thanks for joining me, Frank. Um, don't forget our dashboard 25 is open for entries. That's the list of movers and shakers in the comms tech space. So do uh, get your submissions in for that. Women of Distinction, formerly our Hall of Femme, now Women of Distinction. That's open for entries. So we'd love to uh, get your uh, trailblazers in that space and women to watch. The salary survey, please take that. It takes about 10 minutes. That uh, just uh, helps us take the temperature of the profession and it's one of our biggest surveys of the year. So please do look out for that. And the PR Week Awards will be in person on March the 16th in New York City. All being well, um, you can't say definite about anything these days, but that's the plan. So look out for that. But that's all we've got time for uh, on the PR Week. We'll see you next week for the last show of the year. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the PR Week. To find more episodes, visit prweek.com.